Luke 18, 35 through 43. Jesus heals a blind beggar. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The word of the Lord. Well, I want to talk about sight today. And I want to talk about vision. They're not the same thing, in a metaphorical sense anyways. Sight is seeing, but vision is understanding. In fact, it was Helen Keller, no less, who said the most sad thing in the world are people who have sight, but they have no vision. Sight is seeing, and vision is understanding. I don't know if you've studied sight. It's a fascinating thing, how it works. You have, we all know you have your cornea, and you have your lens, and what happens is as you catch light, it actually goes into your eye, and in the back are the rods and cones uh, on the retina, so to speak. And the, the actual image is inverted. It flips. So technically, we see everything upside down. But it's our brain that translates it, gives us the ability to understand what it is that we actually are seeing. Vision turns images into answers. And what we're seeing in this parable here, excuse me, not parable, but story, is the difference between sight and vision. And it's somewhat ironic because it's the group who seems to be able to see who is blind, where it's the blind man who actually is able to see. Why do they look at Jesus and they see two entirely different images? Because one group sees Jesus as a movement for the masses, but one blind man sees him as a savior for the lost. The question I have for you today is, who do you see when you look at Jesus? Is the image inverted, or are you able to see Jesus for really who he is? Because Jesus has come to save those who see him as a savior. So who do you see? We're going to look at three particular groups of people or categories of people. There are only three in this story. Number one, they're the crowds. We need to look at how the crowds see Jesus. Then number two, we're going to see the blind man and look through his eyes, how he sees Jesus. And then finally, we're going to see through the eyes of the Savior, how Jesus sees the blind man. One group, a movement for the masses. One man, a Savior for the lost. Who do you see? Well, let's begin with the crowds. How the crowds see Jesus. If you look at verse 35, we see as Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. If you'll remember, Jesus has been coming down from Galilee, which is in the north, to the north of Jerusalem. He's been communicating that it's time to go to Jerusalem. 
where he is going to be sacrificed. And so he's in this long, long road as he goes nearer and nearer to the place where he will ultimately be crucified. He's communicating to his disciples, but they're not getting it. Even sometimes to the crowd, but they're not getting it either. In fact, as Jesus is going, they're drawing near to Jericho. And if you remember the story, you remember your Old Testament. Jericho is on the other side of the Jordan. Okay, so the way it works is up in Galilee, to the south of Galilee is Samaria. But good Jews don't go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. They go around Samaria. So they've gone around and they're going to have to cross the Jordan. Right on the other side of the Jordan is Jericho. And then to the west of Jericho is Jerusalem. And so all of these people are coming for the Passover. And in fact, in this current stage where Jericho is at flood stage, they're going to have to probably take boats to get ferried across Jericho to Jericho. And so a crowd is swelling. It's like an artery that's getting smaller and smaller. And people are sort of glomming onto Jesus because he's been doing these miraculous things. In fact, it's quite possible that by now Jesus has, uh, has uh, risen La Lazarus from the dead. He certainly healed the ten lepers. And everybody is wondering, is he the Messiah? Who is this one, Jesus Christ? So there's this massive crowd that has swelled around Jesus and they're walking. And as they're walking, they walk by a man who's sitting by the roadside begging. We actually know his name from one of the other Gospels. His name is Bartimaeus or Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. That's his name. We also know that he's blind. It appears he has not always been blind. He's gone blind. But he's sitting by the roadside and he's begging. Now this tells us a lot about Bartimaeus. If he's sitting by the roadside begging, that means there's no one to care for him. The only way he's going to be able to make a living, so to speak, is to beg for his money because no one is caring for him. So Bartimaeus is alone. And the reason he's by the roadside is that's the only way he can make money, through almsgiving. This is the best time for him because people are going to Passover. So aside from the generosity of the people, he will starve to death. This is not a time where there's a lot left over for excess people. Bartimaeus has been cast aside, so to speak. And as Bartimaeus hears a crowd going by, he inquires what this has meant. Like many blind people or handicapped people, the other senses have been sharpened. As he doesn't have his eyes, he's able to listen, he's able to take in more information. And so he wonders what is going on, for obviously something is going on that's out of the ordinary. They reply, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. Nazareth being where he's from. Now, it appears that this man knows who this Jesus is. I don't see how he could not. For I'm sure that all of the talk, all of the gossip, all of the wondering is like a firestorm around there. Particularly for people like Bartimaeus. For Jesus has done many miracles already. Giving slight sight to the blind. Giving, uh, healing the lepers. Jesus is doing these miracles and people are wondering. But this man has quite a response, doesn't he, when he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He says something very different. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He screams it out according to the Greek. 
Well, the crowd has a response for him. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. This man was calling out for mercy from Jesus. I find it quite interesting, the response of the people. In fact, not just the response of the people, but the people who were in front. It doesn't say it was the disciples. I tend to think it might be. But what the people do when they hear this incessant crying out, they rebuke the man. Shut up. Be quiet. We're busy. I'm scratching my head wondering, what a strange response of the crowd. I mean, wasn't this the mission of Jesus? Did not Jesus, in the very beginning of his ministry, as he was sitting in the synagogue, unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery for the prisoners, sight for the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? This was the same Jesus when John the Baptist, just a couple of chapters ago, sent messengers. Remember, John was in jail. And he's wondering, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus at that point gives sight to the blind, heals people, and says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised and good news is preached to the poor. If we look at what Jesus is saying and doing, this is exactly in Jesus' wheelhouse to heal this man. And yet the people are rebuking this man for speaking out. Why are they rebuking this man? It seems that they're saying that he doesn't have time for you. But the reality, as we know that is not true, is simply this, that we don't have time for you. You see, they saw the man as a sinner. In fact, blind people were considered cursed by God. Remember the question of the disciples? Who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or his parents? In fact, it went tax collectors at the bottom. By the way, Jesus is going is to heal a tax collector next week. And then the blind people right above him. Okay, this is the bottom of the barrel. This man is a sinner. And Jesus did not come to save sinners. He didn't come to save us. He came to serve us. See, this crowd has an agenda. We're heading to Jerusalem. Our mission is in front of us. And when we get you there, Jesus, you're going to clean house. You're going to get rid of the Romans and the corruption. And you're going to put us in authority. In fact, the disciples are thinking they're going to be on thrones around Jesus. And all is going to be made well as you fix the world around us. See, the crowd, to the crowd, Jesus is a movement for the masses. He's their vehicle. He's their horse, if you will, that they're going to ride in on to victory. And we all know what happens as Jesus meets, outside, meets the people outside the city gates, right? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're excited that their victor has come in to take charge. And Jesus bitterly disappoints them by casting out the thieves in the temple. He doesn't perform for them. And so at the end of the week, what are they shouting? 
Crucify Him. Crucify Him. What conclusion can we draw other than that they are blind to the purpose and mission and message of Jesus Christ? He's simply a movement for the masses. You know, the world's kind of like this, isn't it? Regarding Jesus. I say this often, you know, in professional sports, for instance. Everybody's a Christian in professional sports. Have you noticed that? Everybody prays before you do the, uh, you know, run back the, uh, uh, the kickoff. Everybody prays. Everybody gives glory to God, right? Do they really need serving or saving? Kind of like the president's election, right? Everybody's a Christian. I feel like this is the first election where we can honestly say, looking at the candidates, I don't think that either of these people are Christians, Right? Judge a tree by its fruit. You know, the pretense is just gone. Let's forget the whole thing and let's just be honest. The world is like this. We want to have Jesus in our camp. Maybe we're like this with Jesus, right? We strike our own implicit bargains with Jesus. Oh yes, I'm for you, Lord. You are my Savior. Now, there's always an implicit now. Here's what I need for you to do to me. Do for me. And we get irritated like the crowd when Jesus doesn't follow our agenda. When Jesus, we discover, has an agenda that isn't ours. See, the point that I'm trying to make here, my friends, is that Jesus is not the means to the end. Jesus is the end. We don't simply follow Jesus so that we can get what we want. We follow Jesus so we can get Him. Anything else is idolatry. And what is Jesus about? He's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and good news to the poor. He's come to save those who are lost, those who want to be saved. All these miracles that Jesus are doing are simply signs, outward manifestations to show the world of the inner spiritual reality that Jesus came to take the broken and the lost and the dead and bring them to life. Jesus did not come to fix the world. He came to fix you and through you to change the world and ultimately to fix it in the end. And so the question I have to ask is simply this, do you want to be fixed? I've told this story before, but I love it so much I'm going to tell it again. It's a little fable about a guy, two guys actually. Once upon a time there was a gardener. He grew an enormous carrot. He was a very good gardener. This was back in the days of kings and he loved his king, and so he took it to his king and he said to him, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. And therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. And I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all of this. 
And he said, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black, black stallion. He bowed low and he said, my lord, I breed horses. And this is the greatest horse I've ever bred and ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said thank you and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Why do you follow Jesus? Are you giving him the carrot? Or are you merely giving yourself the horse? I follow him because he promises to make my life better. I promise him. I follow him because he promises to give me peace. So he'll make my marriage better. He'll make my life more comfortable. There's a now in my implicit bargain with Jesus Christ. So what's your relationship with Jesus like? Is there peace? Is there wholeness? Is there fulfillment? Or is there this nagging sense of irritation and frustration that you thought there was more to it than this? Maybe the issue is that you've never really given Jesus yourself. You've simply made a bargain and he's not coming through with his end of the deal. So my question for you is simply this. Is he enough? Is having him in your life as Lord and Savior, is he enough? Is his kingdom more important than yours? Or are you always rehashing the deal? Asking him, build my kingdom, my job, my friends, my future, my house. It's really more about me in the end than it's about him. Who is in the center of your heart will reveal who Jesus is to you. Whether he's simply a movement for the masses or a savior of your soul. Because Jesus has only come to save those who see him as Savior. What do you see? Well, how about this man, the blind man? He sees Jesus, right? See, I love it about this blind man. There's no deals to be struck. He has nothing to offer. There's no pretensions to have. He's at the bottom of the social scale. And he is the only one in this crowd who sees Jesus clearly because he sees himself clearly. And so he calls. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Interesting how he responds, right? The crowd says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. But he says, Jesus, son of David. This term, son of David, is an important one. It goes all the way back to 2 Samuel. Remember King David, the greatest of all kings? Who wants to build a house for the Lord? And the Lord says, I need no house, but I will build a house for you. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom forever. The one who will sit on the throne. In fact, Jesus asked the question of the Pharisees, what do you think about the Christ, 
Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. This man somehow intuitively knows and understands that Jesus is not simply this prophet from Nazareth. No, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the king. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He says it again, son of David. Why does he see? The truth is that it's his blindness that saves him. Because of his blindness, he is alone. All have left him. Because of his blindness, people have said to him, you're cursed. And the truth of the matter is, he is. And so are we. I hate to tell you this, but all of humanity is under a curse. He's not blind because of his curse. What do I mean by a curse? Remember the scriptures? The one who sins is the one who will die. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you do, you shall surely die. God's command is to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To obey his commands and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. It's just been pointed out to him more clearly, unfairly perhaps, that he is cursed. And he understands that there's only one who can lift the curse. There's only one who can lift his head. There's only one who can say to him, I see you and I recognize you and I forgive you and I honor you. And that is God himself. And so this man desperately yells out. He persists, doesn't he? Shut up, be quiet. You're in the way. But he screams even louder. He will not be denied because he understands that the Son of God is passing by. And what happens when he's gone off in the distance? Will he be able to see him or find him? No. Now is his chance. It's now or never. And so he screams, and it works. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, Call him. Excuse me. It's something like that. I'm reading from Mark 10, 49 in the parallel passage. What does it say? It says here uh, that in Luke 18 that Jesus stops. In Mark 10, 49, I love this. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they said to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now what's the problem with a blind man throwing his cloak aside in a crowd? He ain't finding it again, is he? This cloak may be the only thing that he owns, right? It's what keeps him warm at night. It's what shelters him. It's his only possession. This thing is like Linus, you know, with his blanket. It's his security, literally. Cheer up on your feet. He throws his cloak aside. Not going to need that anymore. But but you are. Everything is going to be okay. The Savior sees me. And off he goes. Have you ever bet it all on something? Maybe financially bet it all on something. 
But have you ever spiritually, emotionally bet it all on something? Man, if I could just get that promotion. If I can just get in that office. If I can just get that responsibility. If I can just get that possession. And all of your heart and energy and thoughts go into it. You can't stop thinking about it. Have you ever bet it all on someone? If she'll just love me. If he'll just stay with me. If I can just have her as mine. All is going to be okay. How's that working out for you? I love my wife. But nobody can take the place of God. Nobody can lift my head and say, I see you. There's only one who can fulfill. There's only one who will not disappoint. And there's only one who will never leave you or forsake you. I met Jesus Christ when I was 18 years old. And I have abandoned him multiple times. But he's never abandoned me. And I have chased after untold numbers of idols. And when they have disappointed, and I've discovered that there was no life in them, there was Jesus. He's always stuck with me. He's never left me. He's my cloak and my covering. His banner over me is love. His pinions are around me, and under his wings I find shelter. See, what we need is Him. Who you need is Him. So how do you get Him? You shout. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. You disregard the world. When they shout at you, that's stupid, be quiet. Get in line. You shout all the more. How much does he cost to you? He costs everything. How much is he worth? So much more. Don't settle, my friends, for anything less than the Savior. For Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And to him who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling for you. And this brings me to my final point, how Jesus sees the man. Verse 40, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? How did Jesus hear? I mean, I know the guy was shouting. There's a crowd of people. I'm sure people were shouting everything, right? There's so much noise and cacophony. How can Jesus hear my still, small voice? I who am sitting on the ground, who have no status or standing. But Jesus heard, and Jesus stopped. Because Jesus has his own agenda, and nobody tells him what to do. And he commanded, bring him to me. And this is the best. I love that God grants us the dignity of choosing. 
Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, King, my King, give me my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. By the way, made you well in the Greek in terms of healed you would be one word. And this is not the word that is used. The word that is used is saved you. It's the word that's used for salvation. It's the word that's used for who Jesus is. Now his faith hasn't saved him. Faith is simply the means. It's the object of his faith that has saved him. See, what the man is really asking is not simply, can I have my sight back? It's really, do you see me? Can I see you? Yes, I do see you. And I want you to see me. Your faith has saved you. And what does the man do? Immediately he recovers his sight and goes away to talk to his friends. No. And he follows him. Glorifying God. I mean, what else would he want to see? Where else would he want to be? His security is right there. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. See, in that instance, the crowd maybe just for a second saw the reality and truth that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. What you need is Him. And how you get Him? Cry out. Disregard the world. How much is He going to cost you? Just everything. But He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus is either a movement for the masses or a savior for the sinners. But he can't be both. I hope you bet it all on Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. He's the only one who will satisfy He's the only one who will never fail. Jesus has come to save those who see him as Savior. So who do you see? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your Son into the world to save blind beggars, those who the world has forgotten, those who are lost. And you came in such a way that we could hear your footsteps. And you came close so that we might feel your presence. Lord, let us not be blind to the truth that you came that we might have life and have it to the full. Let us deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But the one who loses and gives up his life or her life, for your sake, and for you, will find it. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.